Welcome to For the Love of Costs podcast, brought to you by the Clarion Costs and Litigation Funding Team. In this series, we will be keeping you up to date with the latest cost law developments and providing our insights into hot topics ranging from costs, litigation, and litigation funding to court of protection legal costs. This podcast is provided by Clarion Solicitors for general information purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. We do not make any guarantees regarding the content of this podcast and are not liable for any losses you may incur from relying on its content. Our liability to you in relation to this podcast is excluded to the fullest extent permitted by law. If you require specific legal advice, we encourage you to contact us at costsdebts at clarionsolicitors.com. Hello, my name is Ella Howard-Taylor, Paralegal in the Cost Team at Clarion, and today I'm joined by Stephanie Kay, Legal Director in the Cost Team. Today we'll be discussing hourly rates within Court of Protection. Welcome Stephanie and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So we know that recently there's been a lot of discussion, especially in Court of Protection, about hourly rates for COP practitioners. We had the PLK decision in 2020 and then in 2021 we had the new guideline hourly rates come about but until then there's not really been much of a review. Yeah that's right so PLK was obviously a landmark decision given the last guideline hourly rates increase was in 2010 so then PLK came along in 2020 and it was welcomed by everybody, a, a standard 20% uplift on the hourly rates. And then in 2021, we had the guideline hourly rates increase. So these are not just applicable to court of protection practitioners. They are the national guideline hourly rates. And these have since, again, been reviewed official as of the 1st of January 2024. Mm. So again, another another great result really in that they have been increased but as you say we it was three years between the two before the most recent increase so those hourly rates it is a it came about following a review by the civil justice council and it was approved i think in october time um so we knew in october that it was coming And thankfully, it gave everybody a little bit of time to prepare and hopefully to update retainer letters and that sort of thing, which we'll come on to talk about. Yeah. But the increase itself is a 6 to 7% increase on the 2021 guideline hourly rates, which is in line with SPPI inflation. So for those not familiar with it, it is the inflation applicable to professional services and it is applicable from the 1st of January 2024 so brand new as of right now. It's good then isn't it so at least we've finally got the the uplift that we've been waiting for especially given the last one was in um 2021 and I suppose a lot a lot has happened since then and inflation has come into effect. I know there's been as well a little bit of confusion about the grades that people can charge for um so I know historically you've got your grade D's which is your paralegals um, your trainees and then sort of from C to B to A and onwards goes into your more qualified your more experienced fee earners but do you want to just explain a little bit about the the, the grades themselves and, and who, who they're applied for? Yeah so it's important to recognize I think that the the geographical location breakdown hasn't changed 
also the grade of fear and a guidance hasn't really changed there's been some confusion about whether or not you still need to be a qualified fee earner to charge grade A and grade B. The The guidance, in my opinion, is, is really clear. It does say that you have to be a solicitor or legal executive to charge grade A or grade B hourly rates. Grade C fee earners can be solicitors or legal executives or fee earners with equivalent experience and in our experience of SCCO assessments that tends to mean that you have over four years experience as a fee earner and you are doing work equivalent to what a grade C fee earner would do therefore meaning that you can you can try and recover those hourly rates for the work because otherwise it would be someone who was qualified doing it and they would be entitled to charge those rates. Yeah. But yeah, as I say, the confusion seems to have come about because of the slight change in the wording for grade A and grade B fee earners, but it is still very clear that you do have to be a solicitor or legal executive to recover grade A and grade B. And there's quite extensive case law around that as well that talks about the fact that you do have to be qualified and and that qualification is respected and it's not easy to get and therefore that justifies the grade A and grade B hourly rates which can't be charged unless you are qualified. So as a result of this confusion we did actually contact the SCCO and just asked for a little bit of guidance to check that if that was still the case and they confirmed that it was um, there are exceptional circumstances where someone who's not qualified might seek to recover an enhanced hourly rate of grade B or grade A, but it will be quite few and far between in court of protection cases. And the reasons why it is exceptional would need to be explained within the bill of costs and, and that sort of thing. So in terms of the grades and geographical location, they are pretty much the same as they were before all of these changes as I say it's just the the increase that has made a difference. So for a fee owner who's maybe been there for 10-15 years but they're not qualified they are capped at the grade C rate? Essentially yes unless you could argue that they were doing the the work of say the deputy yeah. and you would argue that they should be, in, be able to charge an enhanced hourly rate so whilst they're a grade C fee owner they could charge equivalent of a more experienced fee earner, but that would have to be explained to the SCCO. So it's not a case of deciding we'll charge this fee earner as a grade A. You do have to be crystal clear with the SCCO that their legal qualification and experience doesn't equate to a grade A, but you are seeking grade A hourly rates as an enhancement, which is really important because we don't want to be misleading the court in any way to imply that someone is qualified when they're not yeah no really important point last there um so I suppose that that takes us on nicely to the indemnity principle then and looking at your client care letters just going back to the the grades aspect of it then would you shy away from naming your specific fee earners in your client care letters would you generic your fee earners so your grade a will charge at 261 for example or would you list your fee earners so every firm does it differently I believe the templates um retain a letter that LexisNexis released I believe that does outline fee earners by name and a lot of firm cons firms consider it from a compliance perspective quite good practice to list fee earners 
individually and assign an hourly rate to that individual. But from the SCCO's perspective, the retainer letter is quite often a retainer letter from the deputy to the deputy or from the deputy to the trust corporation or from the deputy to the named firm who are acting. So contractually, it's not really worth a great deal, but it Mm. is still required to satisfy the SCCO to show that you did agree those hourly rates from the offset. And personally, I think it's much easier in your retainer letter to outline grade A's will charge X, grade B's will charge so on and so Mm. on and break it down that way rather than assigning a fee earner to a specific grade particular because if you have someone who is for example a newly qualified solicitor you are going to have to revise all of your retainer letters when they get to the required experience to charge grade b Mm. and that in itself can become a bit of an admin nightmare particularly if you've got different fee earners who their experience or their qualification dates vary throughout the year you might have some people who qualified in March for example some who qualified in September so you will be constantly revising your retainer rates if you have assigned a specific grade or a specific hourly rate to a named individual whereas as you mentioned going a bit more generic and assigning grade A will charge this grade B and so on and so on that is a bit more easy to satisfy and a lot less admin in my opinion definitely um and i think the only other important thing to mention there is with the rates just making sure you have updated your client care letters because if you haven't you will be capped at whatever they are stated at currently yeah that's right and it's so important and it caught out so many people following the plk increase and following the 2021 guideline hourly rates increase but I think if you haven't already, it's so important that you check that your retainer letters do state the 2024 guideline hourly rates from the 1st of January. Ideally, especially given that we knew about this since October time, ideally you've already done this and those retainer letters are already on your file. So you can, from the 1st of January, claim this increased hourly rate. Otherwise, there's no guarantee that the SCCO will allow you that rate because you haven't agreed it from the offset. Mm. So to benefit from this inflationary increase, you do need to have that client care letter in place to satisfy the indemnity principle and to satisfy the SCCO on assessment. Yeah, because I remember when when it changed to the PLK rates, obviously I think it caught a lot of people out there, didn't it? The indemnity principle did apply there because you hadn't updated your client care letters. Therefore, it meant that a lot of people were capped from when they did update their retainer letters. Um, so I think, yeah, that's a really important point yeah. to look at. It was definitely quite messy as well, I think, when PLK was introduced. And hopefully everyone has learned from that. Because the difficulty is, and a lot of people's argument was, well, who is this retainer letter to? Because obviously in COP cases... P doesn't have capacity in relation to property and financial affairs. Mm. So they therefore don't have capacity to enter into a a retainer letter, which is the whole reason a deputy is appointed in the first place because they they don't have capacity to manage their own finances. So the piece of paper is worthless. (laughs) That is not a contract by any means if you have a letter to P stating what hourly rates you're going to charge because they can't enter that contract. 
But to satisfy the SCCO, you do need something, which is why so many firms now will have a letter from the deputy to the firm or from um, a fee owner within the department to the deputy. And it is just that paper trail, which is so important. So I think we can all agree it is not worth the paper it's written on. (laughs) And contractually, it is a bit of a waste of time, but it is still really important to satisfy that you agreed those hourly rates. And even more so, I would say going forward, it's just such a good habit to get into to make sure that this paperwork is reviewed ideally every quarter. Is it still up to date? Are all the fee owners listed still there? Are all the fee owners charging the right hourly rates within that letter? And even more so because going forward, it's hoped that the guideline hourly rates are going to increase annually in line with the SPPI inflation. So if we do get another increase to hourly rates from the 1st of January 2025, you are going to have to revise all your retainer letters again to enable claiming those enhanced hourly rates or those new guideline hourly rates. So it's just a good habit to get into to to revise it more frequently and make sure that you can recover the rates that you are entitled to so long as you've got the right paperwork. Well, that sounds like good news then, especially if we're going to keep getting a review. Because I think it, especially from 2020, when we got the initial PLK, it was such a jump and surprise to people. And I think it was welcomed, but it was very much needed. And I think as inflation continues to grow, it's definitely something and the right thing to be doing, to be looking at it year on year when inflation has changed. Yeah, and I think there's been discussion definitely about is six to seven percent this increase that we have now for 2024 is that actually reflective of the times that we live in since 2021 since Mm. the last increase and I've heard quite a few people say well why are they not combining the inflation over 2022 2023 and 2024 to then mean that that uplift comes all in one go that's not happened and I, I cannot see them backdating it so we have now got this 6 to 7% increase for 2024 and hopefully next year, whatever inflation may be, it'll be another increase. So I can see this now annually increasing, which is what they've proposed. And then every five years, the idea is that there'll be a more in-depth review. So again, there was a lot of talk prior to this review about should the geographical locations change yeah especially now so many people working from home Mm. is geographical location as important as it once was and does that need to be revised and it's not something that's been addressed in this review but perhaps in five years time when there's a more in-depth review that will be looked at yeah maybe the grades will be looked at there's all sorts of things and it is important I think that we don't wait another 10 years for a review definitely that it's something that is considered more frequently so this is a welcome change and I think even more so it's going to be a welcome change that annually you know that you will be remunerated for the work that you're doing at the correct hourly rate and I think it's just peace of mind isn't it for court practitioners as well that you are getting that annual review of the hourly rates because like I said for so long they weren't looked at and they were so historical that it just wasn't sustainable to keep doing cop work at the rates that that were 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 once um so definitely I think it is welcomed by everybody and will be going year on year yeah definitely it is something that needed to happen and the fact that it's now um, proposed that it will be an annual increase 
will just make such a massive difference to the sustainability of this work type because I think it's fair to say COP practitioners don't do this to take home a wadge of cash at the end <laughs> of the day they they are doing this to do right by their clients but equally they can only do that if they're being paid to do it and it's a sustainable business model and I, I am aware of a lot of court of protection practitioners who stop doing it mm. for firms who've shut down because they can't make the numbers work so this does go some way to hopefully meaning that it is more sustainable and that the vulnerable people that are represented through court of protection work continue to be represented, which is great news. Yeah, and that, that's the fundamental part, isn't it? That then vulnerable people have got somebody to help manage the finances and that's where the court practitioners come in. Exactly. And there's, it's always something that we get asked about um, post any hourly rate change is enhanced hourly rates and has there been any success with charging hourly rates above the guideline hourly rates? Mm. In the past, certainly it was something that was a bit more successful because there hadn't been an increase to hourly rates for such a long time. I think the SCCO were more receptive to a claim for enhanced hourly rates in the right cases. Yeah. I don't, there's nothing to stop firms from charging an enhanced hourly rate on really complex COP cases. Again, so long as their retainer letter supports that. Yeah. So you would need to make sure that your retainer letter states an hourly rate that is in excess of the guideline hourly rates if you were going to try and recover those but I think the chances of that being successful on assessment are slimmer because the SCCO will consider we've there's been an increase in the hourly rates and they're fair Mm. Um, but there are some really complicated cop matters out there so in the right cases I think it is always worth revisiting again your, your client care paperwork making sure are they the, the right hourly rates for this case? Should we be increasing them? Should we be seeking an enhanced hourly rate for whatever reasons it may be? Historically, we've seen firms be successful with enhanced hourly rates if it's a international matter. So there's yeah. international assets, um, international property, for example, an extremely contentious matter. If there's business interests involved, so the client owns multiple properties or owns a business and you are still managing that as deputy. There are all sorts of complicated factors that could come into it, but I do think if you are going to seek enhanced hourly rates, it's going to be harder than it ever has been because of the recent increases to the hourly rates that the SCCO will consider are sufficient. Yeah, and I think like you said, it's the right cases to do it on. There's no point just picking... A case and thinking, oh, I'll apply enhanced hourly rates on it because the court are going to get wind of that and they're going to start thinking, oh, people are just imply, uh, applying enhanced hourly rates be- because they can do. Mm-hmm. It is You do need to think about which cases it will apply to. And like you said, there's different elements. Do they apply to that case? If they do, okay, have a think about enhanced hourly rates and whether whether you want to apply them going forward for that matter. Yeah, and that's not an exhaustive list of examples where you could claim enhanced hourly rates either. There are, I'm sure there are more examples. It could be, you know, a, a really litigious matter. It could be a, a ridiculously high settlement award that you are managing and therefore mm. there's more risk involved. And do you deserve a higher hourly rate for managing that? There are There are all sorts of different complicated factors that could come into it. And it's just about choosing the right cases. So we are working with quite a few firms at the moment where some of the cases they deal with are so challenging. 
And we want to try and choose the right ones to put forward to say to the SCCO, this is not your run of the mill deputyship file. This is not your bread and butter everyday work. This yeah. is like a once in a lifetime file. Which is so different, isn't it, from the norm? Exactly. And we want to make sure that the firms that we're working with are getting paid properly for that work. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for joining me, Stephanie, today. Thank you for having me. No, you're welcome. And that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share it with your network. To ensure you are kept up to date on all things costs, make sure to sign up to our newsletter mailing list below. We look forward to welcoming you to the next episode.